Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, you lovelies, to your Friday episode of The Old Growth. Thanks to you awesome supporters, I've been able to subscribe to a set of production quality sound effects and music, which I've used in today's episode. I've done my best to limit my use of the old set of sound effects to see what I could come up with today. So I hope you enjoy it. The new set of audio is really fantastic and has a major range of emotional and dramatic audio landscapes that you'll get to listen to in today's episode. Just a reminder that there won't be an episode this Monday, as I'll be out crabbing most of the weekend and spending time with friends and family. In fact, this early drop is to ensure I get an episode out to you this Friday, as I'll be heading off in a couple of hours. I'm not going to leave you awesomes high and dry without an episode, mates. No way. Also, for all of you amazing supporters and listeners that have emailed me, any free time that I get on the weekend will be yours. I'll do all I can with my spare time to respond. Now, in saying that, I wanted to do a special episode for all of you today with a new old-time radio series as well. This series is called The Mysterious Traveller. This one episode was a real challenge. Much like the suspense series, they have major crackles and pops that have me really sweating to get a level of audio quality worth your time. But I think this particular episode had enough digital meat on it for me to slice away the noisy fat and give you something really worth your time. This is a classic episode for the mysterious traveller and a great way to start the series. The episode, The Good Die Young, a really fascinating tale of a daughter and her father's relationship. I won't give anything more away and I can't wait for you to listen to it. It's simple, but also intense, especially near the end. Now a big announcement before I jump into my thank yous. I have a brand new Elgray Enforcer, Christina Boyd. Thank you so much for signing up to support this podcast, mate. You are helping this podcast improve with your support per month, and that is brilliant. I'm making an L Grey just this minute to thank you. And you'll be hearing from me directly as well through Patreon. Cheers, Christina. In the spirit of supporting this podcast, I eagerly want to thank my Ode Night Tea Titans, continuing the cursed theme from the previous episode. Matthew J. Bauer of Cursed Feather Hovel. There is a dark place in the forest of Torah, and they say simply mentioning it is enough for you to find it. It appears at random, luring in the next victim. By blending in to the surrounding environment, a walk down the street, a wrong turn or misstep in the forest, it waits. The cursed feather hovel serves as a warning for those seeking adventure, and when the adventure comes to the seeker, you must make a choice. Do you enter, or do you possess the willpower to continue on? and past the Cursed Feather Hovel. The hovel holds secrets, secrets like no other. Unattainable knowledge resides there. Wonders, or perhaps, what others deem as curses are born there. If you can dream it, you can have it all in the Cursed Feather Hovel. But as expected, there is a price, and that price is your humanity. A price that affects each person differently, of course, but really, It just depends on how much you value your humanity. You must choose wisely. Maya, a house of twisted mirrors. A young woman stumbles across a piece of obsidian mirror that she found creates stunning, dancing lights when angled to the moon at night. She discovered it would glisten, creating amazing, dreamy images 
but also producing a strange, transparent blue liquid. Upon picking the mirror up, she was never concerned, as for months this would continue, not knowing the dangers or having the knowledge to understand that this strange occurrence is indeed strange and dangerous. It would change her life forever. The ooze would make its way into the soil around her house, the boards beneath her feet whilst she slept as well, and transfigure the world around her into a maze of contorted mirrors. It wasn't until she noticed her fingernails that she began to worry. They began to glisten and twist on their own accord. Months pass, and those that see her house from the outside are oblivious to the internal torture of the mirrors that grow flex and twist their way through her body and into the world around her. The House of Mirrors, they say, is said to have sobbing echoing throughout the night when the moon appears, and the sounds of hands touching glass. Solstra, Tea of Madness. A merchant caravan traveling from town to town came across a beggar looking for coin. He was by no means unusual, sharing the characteristics well known for beggars in that place, dirty, rough, and above all, pushy. This beggar, however, possessed a cursed item unknown to the beggar himself, for it is that item that drove him to this life of hardship without his knowledge. He was keen to part with the small pouch of tea that the merchant was attracted to. Perhaps even then his fate was sealed, in an invisible struggle of which he had already lost. The caravan owner pays him a gold coin, and his fate is sealed. That beggar departs, and the tea remains with the merchant. Two weeks later, and the merchant is discovered, pinned to a tree with purple flowers growing from his mouth and eyes, his fingertips oozing purple and bonded to the tree trunk. Apparently, he was spotted to have been digging for a week straight and planting seedlings in the dark. But they weren't seedlings, my friends. They were his nails and fingers, lobbing them off to give to a tree god created only by his madness. Madness brought on by the beggar's tea. A curse of madness like no other. Thank you lovelies for being amazing and supporting this podcast and showing others by example on how your support shapes the show. Point and case for the new music, new special effects, and sustaining this show on podcast and audio boom and across all other platforms. Thank you all so much, mates. You guys and gals mean the world to me. And my lovely white tea warlords, I own cows, the cursed cowlar. A beast with four horns roams the glades at night, terrorizing livestock and only consuming the eyes of its bovine brethren. Yes, it used to be a cow, until consuming a seedling deep in the dark forest, as it was lured inch by inch by a sweet-smelling vine. The cowlar is indeed a creation, not a natural being in any right, produced by dark magic, and its mind and body warped into a travesty it once was. If you hear the thuds of hooves, stay inside and light your candles, for the light is the only way to keep out the dark. Lee Bauer, the sword that grips. Many moons ago, a legendary weapon was sold from market stall to market stall, never used or taken out of its box for the warning that it bore, until it fell into the hands of a prince, kindness masking the gift that would disguise its cruel betrayal. The sword was presented and with it only a slight warning, that it only be used during the day. Nothing more was explained, nothing more was shared, but a prince is a prince and boredom took hold of his mind. 
One night he reached for the sword, and that sword reached for him, binding itself to his body and snuffing out the light from within him. The prince was never seen again, but an unholy revenant roams the barracks of the palace at night, slaying with impunity, and no one dares set foot in that fort ever again. Nothing but screams of agony can be heard. I hope both of you loved your tales, mates, and there's nothing quite like some terrifying tales to start your Friday or end it. Thank you both for your support. And of course, my old grain forces. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lorraine Grisanto, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Michelangelo Yacone, Robert Fisher, Tasha Moncrief, and welcome, Christina Boyd. Thank you all for your support. Every day, all of you put a smile on my face. Thanks so much. I won't be doing an outro tonight because it's not only pouring down like crazy, so the power might cut, but also I have to leave shortly. <laughs> so mates, lots of love to you all. Stay brilliant and enjoy your tales. Cole, we are leaving day after tomorrow. He looked at me and smiled in a way I never wanted to see again. There was a placid numbness in the smile, but also a foreboding knowledge somewhere in his eyes. We are leaving the day after tomorrow. He repeated slowly, still with that expression on his face. I did not have time for this drug hate bull. Yeah, so be ready. I said, again holding my emotions in check. You aren't ready, he said. A tinge of sadness returned as he said this, but the smile still remained. I don't get it, Cole. What the hell do they want? Desperation cracked my voice as I asked the question. It's nothing to do with want, Eric. It just is. And we eased our pain. I was about to ask more, but Brianna emerged from behind and looked at me with the confident smile that I had grown to hate. All of her perfect beauty had rotted into that smile. I am not immune to the fact that Cole was not even someone I knew all that well before this, and I still didn't know him well during this either. I'm not sure why I found such a thick-headed need to save someone I hardly knew, but I was so stubborn about this whole awful business that I was not looking back. I would return home to you and be there when our baby was born, and feel like I was starting my fatherhood on the right foot by saving him. I thought that if you knew all of that, I would be forgiven for leaving and barely speaking to you. I began my hike at dusk, making sure that no one saw me leave my trailer. I am sure that you are having trouble picturing me in this role, a city boy in the Arctic Circle going on a nocturnal rescue mission into the unknown. For some reason, I felt very alive at that moment, and I feel alive now as I write these words to you. But feeling alive has taken on a new terrible meaning for me now. I felt warmer than the last trip and covered the distance faster this time as I moved in the darkness. I found my rock and checked my camera equipment again. Somehow, in about two weeks, I had adopted the roles of photojournalist, outdoors man, conspiracy uncovering adventurer, and total fool. 
all at once. I could barely fathom what I was before that moment. The procession of the Radix came on cue a few hours later, and I followed behind for the next half an hour, still brimming with self-confidence and hope. I'm not sure if my stealth skills were actually sufficient that night, or if they honestly did not care if I knew, but they gave no indication that they noticed at that time. I was down the ledge from them. They had stopped walking and were standing still, looking down into a crater or chasm of some kind. They stood about 20 feet apart from one another, forming almost a half circle around the chasm, which must have had a circumference of around 2,000 feet. Light was coming from down below, making them once again into silhouettes. The moon had not yet emerged from its place on the horizon, so the light from underneath was currently the only source. The light was an odd, shifting thing. And from where I watched, I could see the reflection of the light on some of them. Yellows, greens, and grey illuminations were first, but it quickly altered even more into a phantasmagoria spectrum of colours that I can think of no sufficient names for. I took a few pictures, but only managed to get the outlines of the people standing there. I picked out the shapes of many men and women, including Cole and Brianna. It was starting to snow and rain at the same time, and I realized I would get no assistance in viewing from just the moonlight. I still had no idea what was happening, so I made my way uneasily to another point around the chasm, where none of the followers stood, and I was able to see more of the other side of the strata within the hole. I restrained a gasp as I saw that other figures were indeed populating other parts of the rim. My first thought was that this was another camp of the Radix that had marched from a different location, but the light as it struck them through the precipitation coming from above made it hard to tell. The only thing I could tell for certain was that it was wrong somehow. The structures of their bodies and faces were all out of proportion, looking at someone through warped glass. I saw movement for a few hundred feet away. One of the new participants was joining the others, but he was crawling from below, from within the chasm. I wanted to vomit from witnessing the strangeness. Fear was making my stomach churn. Instead, I lifted the camera and desperately tried to capture the images of the figures. The camera lens providing me with some comfort. Although I was well aware of how false this comfort was. But having the man-made plastic and electronic device between me and what I was seeing made me feel, at least for a moment, a bit further away from what I was watching. I could almost pretend I was an observer from a distance instead of being only feet away. The weather wavered for a few seconds, the precipitation letting up. I was soaked but did not notice. You see, I was looking through a camera, and the lens was zoomed just enough to see one of the faces of the figures that had emerged from below. What I saw made me let go of the camera, and it fell to the strap hanging from my neck. I screamed, but the scream was drowned out by the sound I had heard the night before as it emitted from the earth. The face that I saw was far from human. You see the eyes sunken back into black orbs, the skin where the mouth should be, a random porous thing, dotted with dark holes that continued to inhabit the neck and chest. 
The things had distortions in their bodies, shaking. I lifted the camera and tried my best to capture more images. It was evident that these beings at one point had been human, or at least had appeared human. As all of the ones I could see had scraps and remnants of man-made clothing on their hideous bodies, I turned my attention back to the humans from the Radix who I had followed. They were looking down, wide-eyed, into the light of the crater, showing no emotion at all other than a slight wonderment. I did not want to see anymore. My sanity was now questionable, but my camera was locked onto the scene and as if on instinct, I could not move. Instead, I just watched and took more pictures. All of the figures began to sway in the now pulsing light from below, the dancing I had witnessed from the previous evening. To my growing terror, I found my own body reacting in a similar way, but not to the degree of the others. Unmistakably, whatever was down in that pit had influence on me as well. It was hard to restrain from moving myself as the event continued. The beings from below were writhing in the light, their bodies swelling and contorting in either terrible misery or ecstasy. The still human members of the camp where I slept were not nearly as affected, but instead just continued moving with the pulses. Other movements began to draw my attention from the rim of the abyss, accompanied by a new sound that reminded me of twisting branches in the winds. Some kind of growth of pulps and tendrils were emerging around the borders. These shapes increased in size and length, wrapping themselves around both sets of figures, neither side showing any protest whatsoever. At the same time, more geometric structures from below were rising from the center of the chasm. The obelisks and pillars made from unknown stone showed themselves, covered with carvings of long-forgotten languages and glyphs. These prehistoric temples were themselves covered with the horrible and slithering alien organic forms from below. The old growth! I remember from my conversation with Cole, this was the old growth and it was bringing up with it lost eons of dreadful life and relics from whence it came. Some of the creatures were being lifted into the air by fungal things as I watched. The human participants had the fungus tendrils and extremities slithering into their open mouths, where it filled them with a loathsome ancient life. I finally did vomit then. I realized that what they had been consuming as their main cause and what was in the air and what I had willingly eaten a small amount of was this old growth. I felt it in my body. It was what had been compelling me to sway with the light and what had drawn me here to this place. No more pictures were being taken as I tried to recover from my retching. Cole and Brianna were descending into the pit below. I understood now that they were to join the ranks of the other creatures who waited below to assert themselves the following night. All heroic illusions shattered as I saw any and all hope of rescuing him disappear, if there was any to begin with. Before I turned to run in pure delirium, I saw other creatures of enormous size and maddening appearance rising from below, eyes, tentacles, mouths, claws were among the unnameable features bathed in the mystical light from below. When I saw that some of the fungal life had almost reached me, where I hit, I ran into the blackened wilderness then, my mind finally succumbing to what I had seen and what I was feeling. 
The only small shred of gratefulness was that I had not been brave enough to look down into the pit itself, into whatever subterranean void the old growth had been waiting for countless millennia to emerge from. Seeing what was below any more than I had already might have killed me where I stood, or worse, paralyzed me into allowing the old growth to consume me as well. I heard the second note flute howl in the distance as my frantic retreat continued. The old growth that I had taken into my body still urged me to return, and from it came visions of cosmic depths of the universe from which it had come to create itself here, all those inconceivable ages ago. Worlds with cities covered with the detestable life littered place and time, and it was now awakening from hibernation to exert itself once again. I am not sure why it went dormant on Earth for so long, perhaps an asteroid strike or some other cataclysm, but it is rising now. I was found after two days by the river by some Inuit fishermen. They had found me unconscious, barely alive from exposure and other injuries that had undoubtedly happened during my delirious and crazed wanderings over the untouched land. It took weeks. But they treated my wounds and nursed me back to a modicum of health before taking me back to the camp of Umait. When I was able to speak, I was taken back to Anchorage, where I was given a more thorough medical exam. They found nothing out of the ordinary, physically, save for a slight clamminess to my skin and my voice being quite weak. They told me this was due to the exposure to the elements, but I knew what it was. I could not tell them of the old growth because they would not believe me. You see, my camera had gotten too wet and the evidence lost with no way to prove what had happened. <sighs> this is why I turned into the person that you were forced to leave. The drugs and sensations are what have been keeping the visions and sickness from taking hold. The more extreme the activity, be it heroin, sex, or worse, are the only things that have slowed it down for me. So when I am finished here and leave this place, I will go back to that hedonistic existence until it kills me. I will come out of rehabilitation with the appearance of being healed and then dive right back in. There are stories on the internet of these features in the land opening in remote places with mysterious disappearances and strange religious sects forming on all of the continents of the earth. Several of the older artifacts that hinted at the horrid parts of this planet waiting to return are starting to make more sense to the world's archaeologists. It is only a matter of months or years until someone important will notice far too late that we are all lost to the old growth. It will consume us all with its version of life and will continue until humanity itself is nothing but a forgotten thing. A layer of strata in the rock, with no other evidence that it may have existed at all. I can only pray that it takes its time and our daughter may live a life before this happens. I am sending with this writing the memory card from my camera, just in case you have better luck recovering the images. And maybe you will actually believe my account of why I am the way I am and why I have done what I am doing. I will only be able to hold the urges of the old growth for so long 
before I disappear as well. Is supper ready, dear? Mm-hmm. Where's Sandra? She'll be down in a minute. Helen. Yes, Stephen? She really didn't mean to pound on the piano and get on your nerves. Just she was trying to compose a new piece for me. But, Stephen, it wasn't music. It was just noise. Well, you mustn't be harsh with her. You know what children are like and their enthusiasm. They forget what they're told. But, Stephen... I don't know exactly what to say. Just a question of being patient with her. Winning her love. All right, Stephen. Perhaps I was a bit impatient with her. You know I want nothing more than for the three of us to be happy together. I know that, darling. And the three of us will be happy together. In the weeks that followed, Helen tried to overlook Sandra's slamming of doors, constant droppings of objects, and other nerve-wracking incidents. In time, she felt, Sandra would come to accept her love and guidance. It was just a matter of patience. Sandra, is that you? Yes, Mother. Please sit down, dear. I want to talk to you. All right, but do hurry. Daddy will be home soon. Sandra... Every day I've been giving you milk money for school. Why haven't you been buying milk with that money? But I have been, Mother. Now, please, Sandra, I won't punish you. I just want to know what you've been doing with that money. I've been buying milk with it. Please, Sandra. Mrs. Gordon, your teacher, told me you haven't bought milk for almost a month now. But I have. She just doesn't Sandra, have to... I won't have you lying to me. Now, that's your father. We'll see what he has to say about this. <laughs> I think you'd better speak to her. You just don't understand. What's she doing? Mrs. Gordon, her teacher, told me today that for the past month, Sandra hasn't been buying milk with her milk money. Is that true, Sandra? And what's worse, Stephen, when I asked Sandra about it, she lied. She said that she had been buying milk at school. Why, Sandra, isn't like you to lie about things. I didn't mean to lie about it. I just wanted to keep it a surprise. <laughs> What a surprise. Your, your birthday present. Oh. I saved my milk money so that I could buy you a pipe. It's here in this box. Sandra, you know I'd have given you money to buy a birthday present for Daddy. It isn't the same thing. I wanted to buy him a present with my own money. Oh, sorry, Sandra. Well, you might have told me about it when I asked you. And then it wouldn't have been a real surprise. I did want to surprise Daddy, so... But you have, darling. This is a beautiful part. No. The surprise is spoiled. Your birthday isn't until tomorrow. Well, this is much better, darling. It means I'll be able to smoke this pipe tonight. <laughs> oh, now, please stop crying. You go upstairs and wash your face and hands, huh? Uh, all right, Daddy. I'm sorry, Stephen, but I had no idea what she'd done with the money. And she did lie when I asked her about it. Well, if you don't have a little more faith in her, Helen, I know it's difficult to understand her ties, but that's because as a child she looks at things differently. I'm sorry, Stephen, 
If you think I failed with her. Oh, but you haven't, Helen. I'm sure that in time she'll come to love you as much as she loves me. I don't know, Stephen. I often wonder about that. As the weeks went by, Helen found herself coming no closer to winning Sandra's confidence. It wasn't that Sandra was unfriendly, but there was an air of reserve about her, which vanished only in her father's presence. Helen felt Stephen watching her anxiously when Sandra was about, and sought to reassure him. Her one thought was to preserve their happiness. Hello, Helen. Hello, dear. Oh, what happened to that vase, dear? Sandra broke it. Accidents will happen. Stephen, this is the fourth piece she's broken in two weeks. And each of them were pieces I've treasured, had for years. Well, Helen, you sound as though Sandra deliberately broken those vases because they were yours. Well, why is it that only my things are broken? Oh, Helen, surely you don't believe she's deliberately breaking your things. I don't know what to believe. The first few times I thought it was an accident, but now... Helen. Oh, please, Stephen, let's not quarrel. Perhaps I'm wrong. I admit I haven't any proof. It's just all the little things adding up. Well, then, what are you talking about? Oh, you wouldn't understand even if I told you. Where's Sandra? In her room, I suppose. Well, I'll go up and see what she's doing. Then. All right. Sandra, it's Daddy. Are you in your room? on the force just found her. Thank you. Thank you very much for bringing her home. Oh, that's all right, Mr. Hamilton. This is our job. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> there, 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 dear. Don't cry. Oh, Daddy, it was so dark out there. And I thought I'd never see you again. What a wonderful thing to say. How do you feel, Sandra? <laughs> you want me to take a Stephen and put it together? No, well, I'll do it. All right, Stephen. Just as you say. Is she all right, Stephen? Uh-huh. She just fell asleep. I hope her being out all night won't have any after effects. Stephen, you feel I'm to blame for her running away, don't you? Of course not, Helen. It's just that 
Well, you, you don't seem to understand that. But, Stephen, I've tried so hard. Oh, it's no use. She doesn't want me here, never has. Helen, how can you talk like that? Why, she was delighted the day I brought you here as my wife. Yes, I thought she was in the beginning. But now I know she was just pretending. Pretending? Yes, Stephen. From the first moment she saw me, she resented me. She feels I've come between you, taken her place in your affection. Oh, Helen, how can you say such a thing? It's true, I tell you. She sees me as a rival for your love. You're just imagining all this. I'm not, I tell you. Oh, it's no use, Stephen. We can't go on this way. What do you mean? Don't you see? We aren't happy anymore. Instead of things improving, they get worse. Perhaps it would be best if we were to separate. Helen, Helen, I won't hear of it. I love you, darling. I wouldn't want to live without you. Whatever misunderstandings we may have about Sandra, I'm, I'm sure we can straighten them out. I don't know, Steve. If you love me, Helen, you won't give up so easily. Please, say you won't leave. All right, Steve. I won't leave. Perhaps we will be able to work this out. I hope so. Sandra? Sandra? You wake, darling? Yes, Daddy. Sandra? Mother and I were very upset when you ran away last night. Mother seems to think you ran away because you you couldn't get along with her. She felt so badly about it, she wanted to go away. She did? Yes. And I told her how much we both loved and needed her. So she's promised to stay. Oh. I see. Sandra, you will try to be a good girl and do as Mother wants, won't you? It would make Daddy very happy. Oh, Daddy, I'd do anything to make you happy, anything. That's a good girl, darling. Now, you get up and get dressed, huh? I'll wait for you downstairs. All right, Daddy. He just doesn't understand. He should have let her go, but she's still here. And she's going to stay. I won't have it. I won't have it. I hate her. I hate her. A week passed. A week in which Sandra's behavior pleased Helen no end. At last it seemed they were going to be the happy family she had always dreamed they would be. Helen! Yes, dear? Will you bring my coat with you when you come downstairs? Sandra and I are going for a walk. All right, Stephen. I'll get it and be right down. Daddy, can we walk down to the river? Oh, we won't have enough time for that, Sandra. Sandra? Hmm? I have your coat, but I can't find your scarf. Oh, the scarf's down here, Helen. Just bring the coat. Oh, all right. Stephen, I hope... Helen! Helen! Helen, are you all right? Helen, speak to me. Daddy, is... Is she dead? No, Sandra, don't talk like that. Quick, phone Dr. Smith at once. I arrived at the Hamilton home to find Helen suffering from shock but otherwise unhurt. I was somewhat disturbed, however, to find her very nervous and run down. She'll be all right, won't you, Doctor? Yes, of course. I'm going to leave you a prescription, Mrs. Hamilton. It's something that will help quiet your nerves. You ought to take it twice a day. Ah, 
Here's the prescription, Mr. Hamilton. Thank you, Doctor. I'll have it filled at once. Well, Sandra, how are you? You've been so quiet, I hardly knew you were here. I'm fine, thank you. You're, you're growing up to be quite a young lady. Are you still troubled by nightmares? Yes, she still has them once in a while. No, it's just her nerves. Uh, if she continues to have them, you might give her some of the medicine I've prescribed for your wife. Well, I must be leaving. Goodbye, Mrs. Hamilton, and uh, stay in bed a few days. I will, Doctor. Goodbye. Goodbye, Goodbye. Doctor. Well, darling, you gave us quite a scare. Yes, I... I slipped on something on the top step. Hmm. You must have slipped on the marble, dear. I found seven or eight of them on the top step. A uh, marble? Sandra, were they your marbles? No, Mother. They belong to Margie. She must have left them on the stairs when we were playing here. Oh, I see. It wasn't my fault. Truly it wasn't. Of course it wasn't, Sandra. Mother knows you wouldn't leave marbles lying around where she could slip on them. Isn't that so, Ellen? Yes, Stephen. I'm sure Sandra wouldn't want anything to happen to me. Sandra, will you come into Mother's room a moment, please? Yes, Mother. The medicine that Dr. Smith prescribed for me is in the bathroom. Will you get it for me, please? All right, Mother. You'll find it in the medicine chest. It's in a blue bottle. Yes, I know what it looks like. Oh, here it is. That's fine, Sandra. Just bring it to me. Here you are, Mother. Thank you, dear. Oh, Sandra, this isn't the medicine that Dr. Smith prescribed for me. Didn't you read the label? This bottle has poison in it. Poison? Well, yes. It's right here in red letters on the label. Oh, I'm sorry, but this bottle is blue, too. It looks just like the one with your medicine. Yes, it does at that. Now, I'll put this bottle of poison back and get me my medicine. Yes, Mother. I'll have to get rid of that poison. It's too dangerous to keep in the medicine chest. Would have been awful if you took the poison, wouldn't it, Mother? Or you might have died. No, go away. I hate you. I hate you. It's mine. You shan't have it. It's mine. We don't want you. We don't want you. Wake up, wake up, wake up. You're having a nightmare. Oh, Daddy. Daddy. Don't leave me. Smith said if she had a nightmare, some of the medicine he prescribed for me would help her. Well, Sandra doesn't like taking medicine. But this medicine's very easy to take. And we'll have her asleep in no time. I hope you think it's best. Yes, I'm sure it is. Now, you go back to Sandra while I get the medicine and a glass. All right, Ellen. Sandra. You must stop your crying. Daddy's here. Don't go away, Daddy. I want you to stay with me. Of course I'll stay with you. What were you dreaming about, dear? I don't know. It was all so mixed up. Oh, Daddy, will you always love me more than anybody else in the world? Of course. <laughs> now, stop your crying. All right, Stephen, I have it. Now, I could just have Sandra sit up. Come on, darling. Sit up now. That's it. Wake up. 
What's Mother doing? She's pouring you some medicine. It'll help you sleep, darling. Medicine? Yes. It's the same medicine Mother takes for her own now. No! No, I don't want it! Now, please, Sandra. It'll make you feel much better. No, don't come near me. I don't want it! Sandra, Mother takes it twice a day. There's nothing to it. No, I won't take it. I won't! Alex, you'd better let it go. Nonsense, Stephen. She'll have us up all night if she doesn't take it. Now, Sandra, stop being a baby and take this medicine. No, Daddy, don't let her make me take it. Don't let her. Sandra, are you going to let me give you this quietly, or do I have to make you take it? No, no, it'll kill me. I knew it will. Let me hold your head. That's it. No. Sandra, stop clenching your teeth. Open your mouth. Do you hear? Daddy, don't let her. There, he's taken it. All oh, this fuss over nothing. Come on. She's talking. Daddy, Daddy, it burns. Sandra, what's wrong? It's burning me. Daddy, help me. Help me. I can't sleep. Tell him, quick. Call Dr. Smith. Tell him it's an emergency. Stephen, here's Dr. Smith. Let me see her. She's been unconscious for ten minutes now. Doctor, you must do something. I'm afraid it's too late, Mr. Hamilton. She's dead. Oh, no. No, she can't be. I'm sorry. How can she be? We only gave her the medicine you prescribed for Helen. Yes, here it is. Let me see it. But this medicine wouldn't kill her. It's only a nerve tonic. You can see. Doctor, what is it? This is the bottle, all right. But the medicine in it isn't the medicine I prescribed. But it is. I took some of it last night. I assure you, this isn't the medicine I prescribed. Then what is in that bottle? It smells like carbolic acid. Carbolic acid? But that's impossible. Look at the label. You can see it's my medicine. Yes, the label's right. But someone poured out the medicine I prescribed and replaced it with carbolic acid. <sighs> but why? Why should anyone want to do such a thing? Who could possibly want to kill Sandra? Everyone loved her. Ask Helen. She'll tell you that Sandra... Stephen, why are you looking at me like that? Surely you don't believe I poisoned her. Stephen, no. No. This is the mysterious traveler again. Have you enjoyed our little trip? Oh, by the way, do you have a child in your home? If so, I do trust it isn't angry with you. You can't be too careful with children. Why, I recall another child who, after being punished by his parents, took a razor and... Oh, you're getting off at the next stop. I'm sorry. Perhaps you'll join me again soon. I take this same train every week at the same time. You've just heard Chapter 13 of The Mysterious Traveler, a series of dramas of the strange and unusual brought to you each week by Station WOR. In tonight's program, The Good Die Young, Betty Jane Tyler played Sandra. The Mysterious Traveler, written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan, 
is directed by Jock McGregor. Original music was played by Doc Whipples.